welcome to a new episode of Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today, I am joined by Rachel Colley. Um, I have said that right, haven't I, Rachel? Uh, that, that's right, Bruce. Yeah. That, it does sound right. I mean, I've, I've not, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with you for quite some time now. I've always said Collie. And I just had one of those moments where I thought to myself, have I been saying that right all along? Have you just been too polite to correct me? <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to know that we're clear of it. Um, Rachel, you're you've by the time this podcast goes out, you will have started a a new job, a new That's role, correct. a new job, a new a new a new stage of your life, path of your career. Um, can you tell us a little bit first of all about where you are now and what what that new job is? Yeah, so um, I've recently just left NHS Shared Business Services and I will be starting a new job as um, Category Tower Director, Tower 8, um, for Akiso, um, for the delivery of the NHS supply chain, diagnostics, um, pathology, therapy and technology um, services under their Capital Tower. So very exciting new role. Um, a fantastic new challenge for me and uh, lots of new people to meet next week when I start. Well, I guess, first of all, con- you know, congratulations on the new role. Um, and I guess congratulations on breaking a record for the longest job title in history. <laughs> I guess as well, more, more novel than, than job title that. Um, I have to say, before we, went, before we went live recording this, Rachel told me that was the job title and I, I simply said there's no way I'm going to remember that so I'll just ask you to to repeat it on there um as you said there prior to the move you as NHS shared business services so it's, it's quite even though you're in the same you know field it's it's quite a change um first of all I guess how did you get into procurement because I know that many people will be aware of you because you've been around procurement scene and, and different roles and major entities as well. Um, tell me a little bit about how your path was to where you are now. Um, so I kind of fell into procurement, um, strangely. I was working in a legal environment at the time um, when I had my first daughter um, and an opportunity came up in procurement. And when I came back from uh, maternity leave, it was, are you going to carry on in legal or are you going to go for this new opportunity in procurement? And I thought I'd just uh, dip my toe in the water and give it a go. And uh, I've never looked back, really. So um, that was back in 2003. Um, and I'm still here now, many years later. Well, what do you enjoy about it? The procurement. Well, well, you know, what, what is it that's particular, particular to it? And why have you decided to stay in it after the last year that has been? Yeah, sure. So um, I love the variety of, of the work. Um, when I started out, I was working in a, a government department at the time. Um, I quickly progressed and moved on. I was very fortunate to get an opportunity working on a project. Um, at what was called buying solutions at the time and it later became government procurement service and it's now known as crown commercial service so i um, worked with a team there on a a very significant travel project that we did um, 
setting up a new travel service for government, uh, really with a move from um, people being supported with their bookings to self-booking. Um, that was quite an exciting time in, in my career because we actually um, tested the, the, the boundaries, really, and we set up a new um, government hotel programme, which was something that had never been done before, and catering for um, 18 central government departments is no mean feat. So that contracting opportunity was really, um, I suppose, what got me, you know, totally immersed and interested in procurement. And I've never looked back since then, really. So I've moved around um, the public sector. I've done stint in private sector. And then about six years ago, I landed in NHS procurement and um, I've really loved the role that I've had and, and the time that I've spent in that so far. So I'm, I'm still here now. So this latest change that you've made, where, where did that come about? Apart from the obvious reasons why people change that, felt like a change, whatever, money. Without sort of, you know, burning without burning any bridges or, 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 or ruining your new job. Uh, what kind of, what, what attracted you to it? Well, how, do you, how do you see this as the next stage of your career path? Well, I guess, you know, I wasn't looking for a change. I've, I've had six wonderful years with NHS Shared Business Services. Um, it's a real family um, there within the organisation. Um, and we do lots of great work with the NHS. Um, I guess, you know, it found me um, and I was quite interested. It was a, a step up for me. It was something new that I've not done before. And if I look back on my career history, um, typically every few years, I do like to have a change in roles. I like mm -hmm. um, the variety and the diversity of doing different things. And my last role that I did at um, SDS, Procurement Solutions and Innovation, um, was really looking at new opportunities in procurement and ways in which we could shape um, the future of what we delivered for the NHS, both in terms of products and services. Um, and in October last year, I ended up um, moving across to Test and Trace to support the uh, mass testing within their commercial and procurement mm -hmm. function. Um, that was quite, you know, that was a, a great opportunity for me. And that was quite an insight into how the pandemic had evolved um, throughout 2020 and, and what the teams had really been faced with it in procurement. Uh, it was hugely challenging, but really rewarding at the same time. And actually doing that work, I think you just, you know, you evolve, you learn, you get on to actually do different things with your career so when this opportunity presented um, earlier this year um, I just thought maybe it's time for a change and and let's see what I can do next um, so yeah very grateful to kind of be here and trying something new again um, and it was quite hard to actually leave behind a job that I do love. Um, mm. but two, two jobs, essentially, you know, working with SBS and, and also working with Test and Trace. Um, it's been, you know, a great few years for me. Um, so I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Now, one of the things that you've done over the last few years as well is, is a lot of work with the Healthcare Supply Association. Um, how do you... 
your period um, working as exec with the Healthcare Supply Association, how was how rewarding was that? What made you um, say take that on as well? What attracted you to taking that on as well? Um, and how do you think those those years you spent with the HCSA? How would you sort of sum them up now? So, I guess my interest in uh, joining the Healthcare Suppliers Association was when I started at NHS Shared Business Services. Um, healthcare procurement was relatively new. I knew a little bit about it, um, but I was aware of the association and wanted to join and become a member. And as I was a member, um, over time, um, I recognised that there were lots of benefits. So not only do you get um, the benefits of being able to network with NHS professionals who do similar things to yourself, um, there were training opportunities. There's lots of material that the association offered on their website that could give you a great insight as to what was happening across the system. Um, and I was just really interested. And I, I guess you, you asked me about my early career. And um, I, I'm from a family that has uh, three people who have been nurses throughout their career and collectively have done 25, 35 and 45 years service within the NHS. Um, wow. So my mum my doing the longest at 45 years, followed by um, my auntie and then my, my grandma, um, who's done 25. So um, being of service and supporting um, the NHS is something that's kind of ingrained in me and that... I just thought it was a great thing to do, actually, you know, being actively interested in an association that supports the profession um, and it's proactive in doing that. So about three years into my uh, role at NHS SBS, I had a, a conversation with, uh, it was Simon Walsh, mm -hmm. who's director yeah. at Manchester University Hospital. And um, yeah, the rest is history. I was to say, I, I joined the association um, in a role in the Northwest initially. So it was part of the National Stakeholder Group. Um, and that's where I started with the HCSA. Well, what would you now? Obviously, there are some misguided uh, healthcare procurement professionals out there who are not yet members of the HCSA. Um, what would you say if someone said to you, obviously, you know the organisation very well, if someone said to you, uh, I was thinking about becoming a member of the HSA. Why, why should I? What would you say? I mean, you know, look, you know, you know it very well. What would you say to them? Um, I would say it's a great opportunity to get to know people in um, this profession. Um, you've you're very well networked, so that you can go to conference. You can go on training. Um, as part of the conference, we do awards, so we recognise teams and individuals right across the healthcare system that have done, you know, great um, in-depth, interesting pieces of work that have really benefited um, the healthcare system. So I would just say get involved, um, get on board and give it a go and get to know some new people. I think the, um, the breadth and depth of the network I have now, I wouldn't have had that had I not joined HCSA. I wouldn't have got that through the role and the day job that I do. Um, I think it's been, you know, something that has really benefited me throughout my career. And I know many more people now, three years on, than I 
than I did when I actually started with the association. Great. I was just, just thinking, I was looking at the uh, HTSA Twitter account um, earlier and a poll just closed and it was on homeworking and about whether people uh, want to stay in the office, whether people are, are looking forward to going back in the office full time, whether they are happier uh, working from home, whether they feel there should be like a combination, maybe, I don't know, two days in the office, three days at home or, or whatever that may be. Um, and overwhelmingly, uh, people were in favour of the hybrid solution. Um, I think it's about, I think it was about almost 80%, certainly in the, in the 70s, that was saying they wanted it hybrid. I think the next highest was just staying working from home. And I think only about 7% felt that they wanted to go back to the office full time. I guess this is a natural development of where we've been in the last year. I'm just wondering, you're about to start a new job. You've been working from home and, you know, for, for like so many people. Um, I thought that was quite, quite interesting. I'm just wondering, what's it like sort of going about to go into a new job when you've been working from home and going into perhaps a new setup? I'm not sure what, what the, you know, whether you're going to be working from home or whether, you know, as we come out of lockdown, whether that's going to be a hybrid thing as well. I just wonder what your take on that was. Yeah, so it's been quite an interesting 2020 and, and moving into 2021, we still find ourselves in a situation where we are working from home. Um, I, I do enjoy it in some respects, but in other respects, um, I really like that connection in an office environment, working with people, um, learning, you know, you can read people because it's quite hard to read people through technology. Um, but that yeah. said, you know, we've really benefited from having access to uh, teams and things like that that have enabled us to connect and carry on doing our work, which has been fantastic. Um, I will be working from home to start. It's completely, it's probably quite scary because it's a completely um, new team that I'm going to be working with. So I've got to get to know people through a screen which obviously isn't ideal um, when you can't meet them face-to-face, -face, but I'm looking forward to um, actually being able to do that at some point this year. So I'm hoping that um, I'll get to see those people that I'm working with and uh, you know, build, build some great relationships with them. I was going to say, I guess, when you're, when you're getting to, new, new, get to know new bosses, members of teams and that, uh, I guess it's a different thing to if you're simply working from home in a job that you've been doing for a long period of time. I mean, I myself started working with HCSA and, and obviously I've gotten to know people, including yourself, over that period, purely through the wonders of modern tech video conference yeah, and technology. Yeah, so. um, but I mean, I guess it's, I guess like you think it's, a, it's, a, it's an adaption, isn't it? You know, I mean, I've got, you know, it could change so much, obviously, in the long run, whether it's what we're doing here, working from home, how our kids get their, ex their exams, you know, yeah, all those yeah. aspects. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was, you know, it was quite, quite interesting to see perhaps what it's like moving into, a, moving into a new role. But in the long term, are you, I know it might be, it might be a difficult question because obviously if you're just starting a new job, you don't want to say, well, I want two days from home a week. But in general, what's, what would you feel? Would you be in that? Would you be ticking the hybrid? Maybe you did take part in the poll, I don't know. But would you be ticking the hybrid one or, would you, or, or one of the others? Yeah, 
I guess I'd be ticking the hybrid solution because um, mm. from my perspective, it, you know, it is easy to use technology. It's had its challenges. So mm. I've been working at home at a time where I've been homeschooling my kids as well, at a time where my husband is a key worker. So four of us working in one house, um, mm. you know, on the Wi-Fi, it can be hugely challenging at times. but. Yeah. I think there's absolutely a place for it. And if anything, um, you know, the pandemic and the situation that we've found ourselves in has accelerated the use of that technology that we perhaps weren't using to its optimum um, prior to, to the pandemic. So, yeah, I would say a hybrid way of working is the way forward. But I'm sure that... Um, others would feel quite different about that you know I work with people at the moment who um, live alone and find it quite isolating I work with people that you know are in a similar situation to me and actually just want to be back in an office environment because they found it incredibly stressful but I'm a glass half full type of person and um, I, I think that a hybrid solution is probably the way forward and how it's going to evolve for us. I think the key will be flexibility because you're right, there will be some people who it's um, difficult for their mental health if perhaps they they aren't around, if, you know, if perhaps they, they aren't around uh, people at home, um, if they don't have a family, that sort of thing, they don't have that kind of, um, you know, rapport and um, interaction that they can, that they tend to get mostly in, in the office, you know. Um, I don't I mean to say that. I know some some people who find it much more difficult being around, around their families working. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't, even if it is just a, I'm totally with you on the Wi-Fi situation because even when, you know, I, I end up recording and doing a lot of video stuff myself, and I think probably the most used phrase in in my house over the last twelve months has probably been, "Can you get off Netflix?" <laughs> yeah can you, you get, get off Netflix? the wi-fi can you get off Ubo? can you get off facetime to your mates yeah um I think uh, yeah i think that's a good point and actually um one of the things that i've had to do on a personal note during this time is sort of practice a bit of patience um maybe reset my standards so we're doing some quite important work um in our jobs but also our children are learning i'm very fortunate mm. that I've got children that are 17 and 11, so they're quite independent in terms yeah. of their learning. But I can't imagine what it's been like for people that have younger children at home yeah, um, who, who are more agree. demanding. Yeah. 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 I mean, my, my kids are similar-ish ages to, to yours. And, um, you know, I've kind of sat there and thought, well, they've got on with things, you know, pr pretty fine. But I guess if they're younger primary school age, there's a lot more, there's a lot more emphasis on you to actually fill that, that role it's a much more kind of a lot more complex isn't it the education sure. at that age because of the formative more formative years and that and that and that kind of thing yeah I totally, totally I can totally see that um, and I have to say um certainly in this lockdown I mean it feels like we've been in lockdown since the very beginning 2020 since I live the, in the north of England 70s? Well, maybe, maybe from when I was born. Um, but it certainly feels like the schools have really, um, you know, pulled out all the stops to get the kids working online. Um, you know, we're fortunate we've been able to support that from home. Um, but I think they've done a fantastic job, you know, and it, it's great that the kids have been able to continue their learning at home whilst we're in this situation. So 
for us, it's been about making the most of it, um, you know, and just finding that balance, um, perhaps being a bit more flexible about the hours that we work in. Um, I've occasionally been on, you know, calls in the kitchen and um, my daughter's been trying to work in, in an area not so far from me. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it does it does create tensions and you do have to sort of be flexible and just be a bit more relaxed about um, you know what you're doing and ha- how it's delivered and I've got a dog as well so uh, the dog barking has featured on uh, a few calls yeah. as well. Uh, just before we, we, we move towards the to, towards the end of the, the podcast and ask a few things about your about personal tags and that um, in your new job just just before we get off the professional stuff um, what are your what are your goals for that I mean what what's um, have you set yourself personal goals? I mean, I don't mean what 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 you know what bosses have set you, but what are your personal goals in, in this in this in this new world of yours? Well, that's an interesting question. Something that um, I suppose I'm not thought about in depth because I, I see that this is um, you know an area that I am familiar with, but there's probably lots for me to learn when I start the role. Um, I certainly thought about having, you know, what am I going to achieve in my first 30 days, my first 60 days and 90 days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a pretty good format that I've used in previous roles that has worked well. Um, but fundamentally, I want to get to know the people in the team, um, you know, fairly quickly, get to understand the work and, and what delivery is required. And just, you know, I tend to jump in at the deep end and just, Um, get stuff done so there'll be lots of uh, new aspects to the role I'm sure but equally you know that the experience and um, what I've done in my previous roles will will help and will support um, that learning so yeah very uh, very exciting and looking forward to it and um, is there a particular aspect that you're excited about in this new role well I think in terms of what it involves yeah. yeah, one of one of the things I've been I've been involved in previously is working with the trade associations, and I know they've got some very close links in this area with the ABHI. Um, I've worked with them previously um, on tenders and procurements that I've done. So you know, I like the stakeholder engagement side of things, working with uh, different stakeholders, and you know sort of joining that work up and making sure that um I, I build the relationships and start as I mean to go on really getting to know um how that works and, and how it impacts in the diagnostics and the tower area that I'm supporting so yeah very much looking forward to that and already got some contacts there that I'm looking forward to reconnecting with brilliant now we are going to enter the end the finale, if you will, of, of the, the, the denouement of the podcast, if I may be so bold, um, Desert Island Supplies, what I am now calling Desert Island Supplies, um, my a, a twist on Desert Island Discs. We ask everyone this, um, if you were to be parachuted for whatever reason onto a remote island somewhere, but you were allowed to only take one album and one film to, I suppose, you know, get get stave off the boredom for the next several decades, or however long you're going to be on that island. Um, what would they be? 
difficult question, but but you knew this question was coming, so I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for good replies, good responses. So, so what are we going to start with? Are we going to start with the music? Yeah, go on. Give us, give us a, give us an yeah. Album. So, so Be ultimately, honest. I throw this one back at you. I'd want my, I'd want my Spotify. Uh, I'd want access to Spotify because yeah. my um, taste in music is really quite diverse. I love mm-hmm. um, rock, pop, um, you know, Motown. You name it, I love it. I think if I had to pin it down, it would be Stevie Wonder, and the album would be Songs in the Key of Life. Um, and the yeah. reason for that is because if I'm on a desert island on my own, I'd want to feel fairly upbeat about things. I think a lot of the tracks on that album um, are really feel-good songs. Um, it was produced in 1976, which was the year I was born. Um, and I had a, a love of Motown and that type of music growing up, uh, something my parents listened to and something that, you know, I've carried on enjoying throughout um, my time. So, yes, that would be my album. And that ties into your glass half full type of thing, as you were saying earlier on the island, or what, I suppose, uh, coconut half full, I suppose. <laughs> Probably. Isn't that what? I've seen enough films to know that the only thing you can drink on a desert island is what you can squeeze out of the local coconuts. So, um, yeah, I guess it's a co- coconut half full, half full decisions. Um, and what film, what film would you be taking, do you think? Well, films, again, you know, like I've got um, a wide taste in music. I love lots of different films, but um, the one that would stand out for me is Moulin Rouge. Um, mm-hmm. That was produced back in 2001. And I remember watching it for the first time and it was quite an attack on senses because there's so much going mm. on in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it's a love story, but it's quite a tragic love story in, in a lot of respects. But um, again, because it's got so much music in um, and a lot of it's from the 80s and I, I do like 80s music. Yep. Um, I think that, that that is the one that I would have to pick. Um, and I, I do think I read that... Um, the music to get the rights to actually put all that in the film I think it took about two years mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I just think it's a bit of a creative masterpiece and I still watch it now and there's certain scenes in the film that um kind of make you the hairs on your the back of your neck stand up so yeah that's one of my favorite films not not everyone's cup of tea I'm sure but um I do do love that and quite a sneaky way, if I may say so, of getting a bit more music onto the Desert Island. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah, you've got to have mu- music in I, your I like that. I like that choice. Um, Rachel, thanks for joining me on, on this episode of Supply Cast. Um, and obviously, you know, wish you all the best for your what will now be your new role when this goes out. You will be uh, in situ in that new position. So we're still up for the future in that, that role. And thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Bruce. Um, and if I could just say before we go that um, I would encourage anyone to take a look at the HCSA, um, join as a member, get actively involved, you know, being involved as a volunteer for the last three years, it's been really rich and rewarding experience for me. Um, whether I work with the stakeholders um, or, or with the, uh, the, the execs. So, yeah, I would get involved and 
and look at how you can uh, support the organisation and join. The perfect, the perfect note to end on, I think. <laughs> well, that's it for this week's uh, supply cast. Make sure you're joining us for the next episode, and we'll see you next time. Bye.